Good morning. It's April 19th, and this is Dr. Jeff Thurston. Welcome to Doing Life, Daily Devotions for Finding Peace in Stressful Times. This is the audible companion to the book of the same name. Today's title is Pleasing God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 This comes as quite a blow to many. It means that no matter your largesse with charities, your consistent tithing, your kindness to co-workers, your sacrificial love for your spouse, your volunteer work, your excellent parenting, your daily Bible reading, your Sunday school teaching, your careful avoidance of foul or spurious language, prurience and violence, and your meticulous adherence to the best of your ability to the Ten Commandments, you have nevertheless failed to please God in any significant way. Well, how can that be? I mean, if you try really, really hard to be a good person, doesn't that count for anything? Of course, being a good person is desirable for lots of reasons, not the least of which is that people will tend to like us back. And on top of that, Jesus commanded us to treat each other as we would like to have them treat us. So it does count for something. But being good to others doesn't earn your righteousness. Following the rules will never do it, and you can't follow all the rules all the time anyway, as Old Testament Israel discovered. The author of Hebrews is trying to make a point, after which he is going to extol the faith of a score of biblical heroes from the past. He does so by pointing out that it wasn't their good deeds that brought them salvation, but their faith, which in fact was demonstrated through those very same deeds. It's not that all those good deeds mentioned in the first paragraph can't be pleasing to God, It's just that they aren't pleasing unless they come from a faithful posture of the heart. Eric Liddell is a name known not quite as well as Chariots of Fire, the movie about his refusal to run the 100-meter dash for which he was favored one Sunday in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. Even the musical score, which became hugely popular in the early 1980s, is better known than the actual man in whose honor it was written. Even so, had Eric Liddell agreed to run the 100, and even if he had won the gold medal, no one other than another Scot would probably recognize his name at all today. He did win the gold medal for the 400 meters. However, if not for the movie about him, even fewer would know that trivia today. Much of the material below is distilled from the book Seven Men by Eric Metaxas. Eric Liddell was a man of strong faith, even at age 22, having been born in China to Scottish Christian missionaries. At age five, the family returned to Scotland on furlough, and although his parents would return to China, Eric, his older brother, and baby sister were not to return. Their mother remained with them in Scotland for one year to get them settled, and then rejoined her husband in China. The boys were enrolled in Eltham, a school for Christian missionaries just outside of London, where they would remain through secondary school, their parents abroad the entire time. Eric was a quiet, thoughtful boy, but exuberant on the playing field. He was an outstanding rugby, football, and cricket player and placed first or second in the 100 meters, long jump and high jump reliably. At age 16, he won the school championship for 100 meters, the quarter mile, and the high jump and placed second in every other track event. Graduating with the Blackheath Cup for the best all-round sportsman, Eric went on to excel in track and field at the University of Edinburgh, despite a heavy course load centering on chemistry and physics. Eric most certainly had phenomenal God-given talent. 
His unorthodox running style, windmilling his arms and throwing his head back as he approached the finish line, became his athletic trademark. He was also known as a complete gentleman, always shaking hands with each competitor before a race and congratulating them afterwards. Known as Scotland's preeminent sprinter, he was also known to be a Christian, though a shy one. During his junior year, the Glasgow Students' Evangelistic Union asked him to speak to a group of 80 coal miners. He agreed reluctantly, since he abhorred public speaking. The next day, Eric Liddell's little sister Jenny happened to send him this verse. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. He told those coal miners in his quiet Scottish brogue that all of his strength and ability came from the assurance he had of God's unfailing love. Word spread quickly that the fastest man in Scotland was speaking publicly about his faith. Soon he had engagements after class all around Edinburgh. Near the end of his life, Lydell recalled wondering how running fast as a talent could possibly enable him to glorify God. He thought that perhaps it was that in his popularity he had a bully pulpit. But in that last year of college, he joined the Oxford group, young Christians who advocated a quiet time daily and living by the four absolutes. Absolute honesty, purity, selflessness, and love. He says he lived by these principles for the rest of his life. Running, and usually winning, ended up, despite its competitive nature, being exactly the formula for Eric to glorify God. His fame made him a much-in-demand speaker for Christ. When he won the remarkable 440 in 1923, where he was knocked down right out of the blocks and came back from 20 yards behind, he gave the glory to God publicly, exclaiming that in the first half he ran as fast as he could, and in the second half he ran faster with God's help. A year later, when Eric refused to run the 100 meters on a Sunday, he told the British Olympic Committee that the Sabbath was to be kept holy, and that meant set apart to God. Sunday was a day for rest and worship, and he absolutely refused to run. The British Olympic Committee was furious. They tried everything to convince him, and then they appealed to the IOC to move the 100-meter heats, but the request was declined. They thought he would give in, but he felt he knew God's feelings on the subject. Even if he faced a lifetime of ignominy, he was not changing his mind. God would sort out the consequences, but he would be obedient. Unlike in the movie, Lydell knew eight months ahead that the 100-meter was to be on Sunday, so he started training for the 400-meter instead. On the day of the Olympic 400-meter final, Lydell was assigned the worst position, the outermost lane. In addition, he'd had little rest since winning the bronze in the 200-meter the day before. Even worse, the American named Fritch had set a new world record in the 400 semifinal earlier that same day. But as he entered the Olympic Stadium, a British team trainer handed him a note. It says in the old book, Him that honors me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.30 Lydell not only went on to win, despite setting a pace everyone thought way too fast at the outset, a typical sprinter error, but he went on to win by an unheard of 5 meters, setting a new world record of 47.6 seconds. Shortly after graduating from University of Edinburgh, later that year, he stunned the world again by announcing that he was finished with running and would study theology in order to teach in China as a Christian missionary. The Olympics taught Eric that God 
would use both his refusal to run on Sunday and his later victory in the 400 to bring people to him, whom he could then lead to the Lord. He gave up certain gold in the 100 meter and the personal glory that would undoubtedly have brought for the opportunity to glorify God instead by keeping the Sabbath. Lydell was reunited with his family in China, taught multiple subjects and led Bible studies, fell in love with another young Scot named Florence, proposed, but agreed to let her first get her nursing degree in Canada, which meant three years before they could wed. Eric returned to Scotland after a stopover to see Florence in Canada in 1931. He entered seminary and became an ordained minister in 1932, visiting Florence once more in Canada on his way back to China. They finally married in 1934 when she returned to China as well. They had two daughters there, but not long after the Japanese invasion of China, they left for Toronto on furlough. In the summer of 1939, the Nazis invaded Poland and the European War began. Eric returned to Scotland alone, fearing for his family due to German U-boats. But the girls followed eventually, and they had four months together before returning to China despite the Japanese occupation. Separated by his assignment as a pastor to a rural village there, Lydell did what he could among villages where the Japanese had killed all the men, raped all the women, and set all the buildings afire. They decided the girls should return to Canada, and Lydell accompanied his family to Japan, where they boarded a ship for Canada, his wife pregnant with their third child. He never saw them again. Returning to Tientsin at the same time as the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, Lydell and all the other foreign missionaries were instantly confined and then shipped to an internment camp 300 miles away. He wrote a daily devotional called Discipleship, which is still in print. Conditions were beyond deplorable, but Eric taught in the camp school, organized sporting events, and planned worship services throughout the freezing winter of 1943. He was able to send a 25-word Red Cross letter to his family once a month. He was known as Uncle Eric to the internees and spent his time settling disputes and befriended everyone, once giving his famous Olympic running shoes to a man who survived and told the story. He began suffering terrible headaches in the winter of 1945, then suffered a minor stroke in February. After a month's rest, he felt he had recovered. As he was finishing a letter to his family, a teenage kitchen worker he had befriended dropped in to visit. They discussed surrendering one's will to God in all things, including our attitudes, she recalled. In the midst of the word surrender, he slumped into a coma and died later that night at age 43. An autopsy revealed an inoperable brain tumor. When daughter Patricia was middle-aged, she recalled wondering why God would have separated her dad from his family during the last years of his young life. He realized from his letters that he had instead become a father to all the children in the internment camp who had lost their own parents. The girl who was with him when he died commented, he made Christ's life so relevant and it made it feel like we who followed Christ must do what he asked no matter your situation. His friend in the camp, A.P. Cullen, said this at his memorial, he was literally God-controlled in his thoughts, judgments, actions, and words to an extent I have never seen surpassed and rarely equaled. It wasn't Eric Liddell's actions that earned him God's love. It was faith in God's unfailing love that drove his every action. What is the necessary component to pleasing God, to glorifying God? Faith. Dear Heavenly Father, 
It is your love for us that leads us to glorify your name in all that we say and do. Lead us not into the temptation of believing that our actions alone glorify you, for the world is full of non-believers who do good things for others. Remind us, Lord, that it is the demonstration of faith to others through our actions and inactions that give glory to you. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow.